The greatest gift, let me just talk about some things about Christmas first, and then we'll look at a passage of Scripture and some thoughts about this. Um, I got thinking about Christmas, um, and as I looked at it uh, internationally, it is the one holiday that crosses all, almost all cultural barriers. In fact, every continent celebrates it in some way or another. All other holidays are not celebrated at that level. And, you know, we, we're used to our Thanksgivings and Fourth of Julys, but that's American. Christmas, the, the holiday of Christmas, does transcend most cultures. When you go back to look at what the date of it is, you know, every year I always get a flood of emails. Oh, I'm not sure Christmas is on the 25th. I go, well, nobody is. <laughs> you know, so you haven't come up with something new. Um, nobody really knows the date of Christ's birth. And the theologians like to banter back and forth, and some think it's in September, some think it's in the spring because of the shepherds and all that, but none of that all holds water. We actually don't know. But it is understood that the early church um, started celebrating as far back as about 336 on December um, 22nd. 336 A.D. Um, and that was when, uh, finally, Constantine in church history began to take over. And he was now ruling and to let Christians from about 270 on into the 300 start to come out of the caves, literally, that were hiding and began to worship. There was such persecution in the first couple of centuries. And so it's not that the very early church did not remember the birth of Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of those events. They just did it in private. So Constantine comes along and he allows these things. And so we finally have it recorded in 336, the first celebration of it on December 26th. So it's been there for a long, long time. Now, despite some of your impressions by nativity plays and Christmas carols, there are a few things that are misnomers. Uh, one, Mary didn't ride a donkey. How did that get in there? <laughs> we, I mean, there's so many places that shows that she rides in a donkey. The Bible doesn't say anything at all. In fact, there's no donkey even in the story. Now, Jesus rides in um, to Jerusalem on a donkey, but uh, somehow that worked its way in. The innkeeper did not turn them away. We just assume that. <laughs> Uh, there's no innkeeper in the story. Um, there just was no room for them. Mary didn't give birth. We don't know the day she arrived. It seems that way, but um, we don't know. She was actually there, and at the point in time she came. The angels never sang. <laughs> you realize that in the story? Um, they, they spoke and they praised the Lord, but they never sang. I hope I'm not bust, bursting some bubbles in here. Um, and, of course, some of the simple ones are there weren't just three wise men. There was three gifts, but uh, certainly that may have been true. There could have been three. We don't know. Um, but most likely there was a whole uh, host of men who came uh, bearing gifts that night. A couple of other things. Um, probably not born in a stable. They have excavated a lot of the area around Bethlehem. And what they found was most of the livestock was kept in caves at night. And, uh, or a lean-to built on the side of a building. In some cases, they brought their animals in the front room, but a little different than we kind of think when we think about straw and mangers and, you know, nice little cows laying around. Um, probably was cold, damp, and miserable. Um, 
Uh, it's interesting, if you, when you go to Israel, there is the Church of the Nativity, and that was actually by Constantine's mother. Helena did that. She somehow got people together, and they picked what they thought was the best site, and uh, so they picked one of the caves. They built a church over it. When you go over there, anything that seems historical, there's a Catholic church built over it. Um, uh, but uh, she was concerned with that. And the Constantine family really gave relief to the church. Uh, and for many, many years, and allowed open Christianity to worship. Um, during, of course, the Middle Ages, uh, the whole St. Nicholas came up, this, this uh, man that the Catholic Church later named St. Nicholas. Um, but Martin Luther really struggled with all of that, and so he came up with something a little different. He laid gifts um, in his household on Christmas Eve, and and he said that the Holy Christ brought them. Okay, Luther. Um, he really gave them. But he was trying to help his children not get caught away in some, quote, saint of somebody. He was trying to help them realize that, that Christ gives gifts. And so Luther was behind that as well. He, he was also credited, and many people largely credit Martin Luther um, with the decoration of trees. He was coming home one night late, had been working down at the church, and was walking home, snow on the ground, clear night, cold, and the moon was bright, and it was making everything glisten in the trees. And so what he did, and Martin Luther, uh, we all know him as that theologian, we enjoy reading most of his stuff, but he loved his children. So he came home, put a tree in his house, tied little candles on it to try to recreate what he saw that night for his children. And so uh, Luther was part of uh, the tree and all of that. Because I, I hear things all the time. Well, should we have a tree in our house? And should we have this and that? And, and people want to kind of die on some hills. That I just, I just want to give you some things people in our faith, Reformed people, have held to for years. And, and I think it's a great gift from God to enjoy a tree in your house. And if Luther did it, it might be okay. Um, Another thought, um, did, I remember this one uh, hitting the church years ago. Remember, we would see Xmas, and we thought that was blasphemous. Then you learned Greek. <laughs> well, X replaces the word chai in Greek, and, uh, and so where we would get Christos from it. And so some of the manuscripts, uh, some of the later manuscripts that got translated, so remember a manuscript would be translated to another manuscript and so, so forth, they could dispense the word of God. Often they abbreviated Christos with just an X that came from Chi. And so later it became Christ's Mass and then Christ's Christmas. And so that's how it came about. It was a remembrance of Christ. Uh, so next time you hear Xmas, it's not that bad. Um, take Greek class on Saturday morning with Brian and you'll appreciate it a little more. Um, our good Puritan friends... Um, uh, Brian and I talk about this all the time. Uh, you know, there are some great Puritans that we had, John Owens and Thomas Watson and some of those. We had some great guys that got out of the Puritan era with a clean justification, meaning there was no works added to it. But there were a few Puritans that had a list of things that you had to uh, observe, you know, to, to recognize your faith. And there were some troubling times with some of the Puritan leaders. Well, they got their uh, little huffy going one uh, Christmas and because it was more Catholic in the 1600s, they began to be a little more frustrated. So the Puritans objected to any celebration of it. In fact, in 1647, the Puritan government, which it had its own government at the time, canceled Christmas. 
You talk about bum hum, humbug, humbugs or whatever you want to call them. I mean, man, not, not, a, not a nice group of guys. Um, they, listen to this. They forbid it traditional expressions of merriment. Is that merriment? <laughs> I think he was merriment. <laughs> they would forbid those things. Um, they, they ordered, listen to this, they ordered shops to stay open and churches to stay closed. This is where legalism will take you. Um, and they arrested ministers for preaching on Christmas Day. Whoa, I would have been done last year, you know, or whatever, two years ago, whenever that was. Uh, so there, are, there were problems even down through the ages of how we handle Christmas. And again, um, we understand the problems with Christmas as a worldly uh, thinking too. And we have to be careful of that, right? As Christians, we don't want to be caught away with the things of the world, though God lets us enjoy wonderful things as well. Now, how about America? Who do you think the first state was that recognized Christmas? Alabama. How do you guys know that? Isn't that amazing? Alabama and was the first one to go. Um, what was that, Roll Tide somewhere? Yeah, I just heard that. Um, we'll see about that tomorrow. Georgia people might think different. but um, so. And then the last state, Oklahoma. <laughs> last state to recognize Christmas. What's wrong with you people? Bah humbug. Um, uh, and they didn't come around until 1907. Uh, but anyway, the holiday was uh, um, recognized in 17, uh, 1870s and, uh, as a national holiday. There's some fun things you can kind of look through. Nativity means birth. Um, it's an old English word, Yule. Um, recognizes this time of celebrating. Um, uh, Noel was an old word that meant date of birth. And so we, we hear these words and, and they are uh, used to help us appreciate, as Christians, appreciate this time of the year. Um, I, I know my wife loves Christmas, and in me, there's a lot of work at Christmas, <laughs> but, uh, but I do. I, I, I tell Gina sometimes, it, goes, it takes me a few weeks to kind of get into that, quote, Christmas spirit, um, but when I get studying on the incarnation, oh, do I start to get in the Christmas spirit, because that's what it's about. It is about Almighty God coming to earth to rescue us. That's what it's about. And this is the first sign of him, the long-awaited one of, of our Lord Jesus Christ in this birth. So let me just read Luke 2 for you. Just listen along, just read the story. And then I just want to give you a few thoughts of why uh, this is the greatest gift. Let me just read the beautiful Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, uh, 1 through 20. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken by Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria. And everyone on his way to register for the census, uh, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood around before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there was born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he was laying in a manger. When they, were, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which was told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Well, what a great story. Throughout um, several sermons coming up, I'll be uh, preaching out of text like this in, in the weeks to come. But um, I wanted to just think about this great gift. This is the story of the, uh, the God of heaven, the creator of all things, coming to earth. And so I thought of just several things that I, I thought that explained the greatest gift. Why is it the greatest gift? Well, number one, it's the greatest gift because the glory of God is now in, uh, visible in human form. The glory of God for the first time in the fullness of, of glory is now displayed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something they had seen Evidences of the Shekinah glory that shined within the tabernacle when, when the glory of the Lord filled it. But they had never seen, been able to look face to face to the glory of God. And this child represents that. In fact, he is exact representation of God. John, John chapter 1 verse 14 is a great Christmas verse because the Bible says this, For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, the logos, the the, uh, the all-authority, power, and wisdom God now dwells with man in a manger. <laughs> in a manger, John went on to say, and we saw his glory. That's what's astounding about Christmas, because the glory of God is now in human form, in a sense, right? He's among his people. And, and, he, and it goes on to say, glory as the only begotten from the Father. This is the, the fullness of God reflected in the Son here, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.15 says he is, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. God had not been seen. No man sees God and lives. And now he's residing. And, and that's why he's the greatest gift. God's on earth. It's astounding. And, and Christians, true Christians think, that's amazing. Other people hear it and go, boy, I sure like those songs. See, to us, it's everything. If he does not come, no matter what the word of God in the Old Testament speaks about, if he does not come, all men die. He must come. And so you see his glory in it. This is the difference between the saved and the lost. We see his glory. We see his glory. 
and we're, we're overwhelmed that, that God would come in human form and come and rescue us. Second thought was Jesus was this long-awaited fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. I love the scene in Luke chapter 2, if we just kept reading a little farther. Eight days old to take Jesus to um, the temple. And there they're going to have him circumcised just like the law had required because Jesus came and fulfilled the law perfectly. Even at eight days, he was fulfilling the law perfectly. But there was a, there was a priest there, you know, Simeon. You remember him, don't you? And his words are astounding. He says, my eyes have seen, do you know this? My salvation. Can you see that scene as he has this child, dedicating this child to the Lord before he takes him through um, this circumcision to identify him as set apart as a nation of Israel. Um, Here he has this child and he looks upon this child and he says, my eyes have seen my salvation. What a statement that we have about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course you know, he says, I can die now. I've seen my salvation. And of course, Jesus Christ would hang on the cross for that dear old man that held him at eight days old. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said this, he said, He has sent me, I love words like this because they remind me about the incarnation. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Now he's, he's reading Isaiah 61, he's in Nazareth, his first trip into Nazareth. Sunday we're going to look at his second trip into Nazareth. But this was his first trip and he goes, to, he goes to the synagogue, they hand him the scroll, he reads Isaiah 61. And part of that is he says, he has sent me, God has sent me to proclaim the release or the pardon of captives. What a statement. It, it tells us that we, we were captive. We were captive to Satan's will. We're captive to our own flesh. We're captive to the bondage of sin. So forth. Christ came to release us. And when we think about that child in there taking human form, he, he comes that way because he needs to be human to represent us and die. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 to give his life as a ransom for many. So you can't look at the cradle without the cross. And I think that's where society gets lost. This is a great holiday. Well, it's amazing. Listen to the radio, and you know, there's radio stations that have just Christmas 24 hours a day. I mean, that's a lot of Christmas. But anyway, um, and these, these very, very worldly singers, people who are into godless acts, will sing tremendous theology. And it seems to be okay now. They almost have lifted the political correctness off of Christmas. You can say Merry Christmas to people now again. It's like they fought for that even though they don't actually understand it. Because you don't understand that if you don't understand the cross. (laughs) And so it's a marvelous thing. Third thought why this is the greatest gift is Jesus was the only one who could conquer sin, Satan, and death. And I love putting those three terms together. Sin, Satan, and death. They, they come together. Uh, that's the whole goal of those things together. And Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, and listen to the phrasing here. Therefore, since the children share in flesh. He's talking about you and me. Since the children, his children, God's children, since they share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. That's pretty cool. That was the only way to get us. That was the only way to save us. We're we're not spirit beings, are we? We're not angels, are we? No, we're humans. 
right? We're, we're humans. And so he became a human. <laughs> fully God, but fully man. So that he could rescue us. The verse, you know the verse, it goes on, that through death he might render power, powerless him who had the power of death, the fear of death that is the devil. He might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. That's, that's why it's the greatest gift. You know, just think about it. There was a point in time where the Lord Jesus Christ steps out of heaven. That we sing a song. Hey, how's that go? He left the air of heaven to breathe the dust of earth. Wow! What a statement! What an amazing statement. The God who created this big dust ball steps out of heaven to walk on it so he can rescue you and I. 1 John 3, 8 says, the Son of God appeared. He appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. See, we don't always put devil and Christmas together. Well, there are some people that try to do that. Um, but we don't. I mean, the world doesn't think, they don't, you know, there's no kind of extra verse somewhere in a carol about the devil. But we know it's directly tied to it. He hated this. He wanted this child dead. He did everything he could with Herod trying to kill him. Right? And, and so we begin to realize that this child comes to destroy the, the work of the devil. Fourth thought, Jesus was a sympathetic Savior. He was a sympathetic Savior. So when we think about the cradle, we have the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ in it, who the Bible in, in Hebrews calls him the great high priest, meaning he can go into the holy of holies before God for us. So this infant is fully God, fully man, and our high priest. <laughs> so he can take you and I before the Father. Don't need Mary. Don't need a saint. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. I mean, that's Christmas. The mediator's on the earth. The one that we need to, to, to get to heaven's on the earth. He is our sympathetic high priest. The Bible says the one who had been tempted in all things as yet without sin. He's, he's the second Adam. And, and, and when you, we always don't think of Adam when we think about Christmas, but think about it, just think about it for a moment. The first Adam ugh, kind of put us in a really difficult position, right? He, he, he believed the lie of Satan, rejected the truth of God. Now we need Christ, the second Adam, to undo what the first Adam did Something actually even greater than what the first Adam did to undo all that. And so you can't help but think of even Adam when you get to Christmas. Two more thoughts. Jesus, and we can go on and on. There's many things here. But Jesus unites our love for one another. This is interesting. Christmas is really a fun time, isn't it, for family? Especially with children. and I mean, the excitement. Do you remember that? I mean, some of us have to go back a few years. But, you know, kids are dragging you out of bed. I mean, it's just, wow, it's crazy, right? Paper flying everywhere. You know, and somewhere there's kids down in there. Um, it, it is really, really a fun time. And then, and then family gets together, right? And so you cook the turkey or the ham or uh, prime rib or whatever you do. Uh, you know, um, and everybody comes over and aunts and uncles are there. And, you know, who's alive this year and who's not? I mean, you're kind of going through the list. Uh, it, it's family time, right? But 
What this does, I want you to think about this. What this does is this unites people who would never be family together. That's what's amazing about this. Think about it. Sean and Jennifer sitting down at our table right here. They're from Kansas. They have a business in Kansas, had a home here. They fly back and forth. They've come to our church quite a few times, and we got to know them. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't know Sean and Jennifer and ask them to come to the banquet with me tonight. I would never know that lovely couple. And I'm just getting to know them. We've been out to dinner a few times, got to know them. They've been coming to the church. This baby put our relationship together. Let me go a step further. Three years ago, I didn't know you people existed. And now I'm in love with you. What happened? Christ makes us love one another. That's what he does. And that's why we, we keep the family together. We work hard to love and work as a church together. Why we discipline sin within our church. Why we are serious about those things. Because we're the family of God. This child has put tremendous love in our hearts for one another. That's the mark of a Christian. You love one another. And you'll put up with each other. <laughs> because Christ unites us together. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If this is true, if you believe in Christianity that God becomes man, takes on human flesh, adds to his divine nature, humanity, lives a perfect sinless die, life, dies on a cross, beats death, resurrects from it, grants you forgiveness of all of your sin. If you don't love, the Bible's pretty clear, you don't know him. This is what this does. And here's 315 people crammed in a room at tables because we love our Savior. And it makes us love one another. And it gives us patience for one another. This is the people of God. <laughs> Remember he said he came to die for all peoples. All peoples he was bringing together. Last thought, because this is fun. We could go all night. But Jesus came so that we would live for him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, just verse 2 verses before that last one. By this is love that God manifested to us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. We might live through him. I think there's several thoughts there that you can work through there. One is that you're going to live eternally. We lost some dear people this year, didn't we? I think in August we had six funerals. We just said our goodbyes to be Martin just weeks ago. Um... But she's still alive. <laughs> she's with the Lord. She passed from this life to the next. And, and that's why he came. So, so that we might live through him. And then it's just as it just, well, we're just going to get by till the Lord comes, you know. Or, or he returns or something. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came, I came. Think about the, the, the manger scene. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this isn't a hum-ho Christianity. And I think sometimes we just kind of get lost in, well, yeah, I believe the gospel. Oh my goodness, what comes with this abundant life? 
I have, I ha- will never stand before God for my sins because there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. That is, if that's not abundant life, I don't know what is. Because everyone else is going to stand and they're going to be judged for every sin they ever committed because they have no one who substituted for them. That's, that's just abundant life there. And then, you know, okay, well, yeah, we do go through sufferings, but don't you have the Spirit of God? He's there. He's there with your aches and pains. You have the Word of God to lean on. You can meditate on Him day and night, trusting on the Lord. Look at all of the abundant life He gives us. Well, I'm not very rich. You're the richest person in the world if you know Jesus. <laughs> all their money and all the things they may have in life will not get them even close to the gate of heaven, but only to the door of hell. So Christmas truly reflects that God has given us the greatest gift. And our, our lives are rich. We're rich. And so we just read the Christmas story, and, and it made our hearts warm. Um, we heard songs sang today of, of our Savior, and it wasn't easy. There was nothing easy. Those songs remind you how difficult birth was in the ancient world, let alone um, in some cave or whatever, and, and probably rejected by your family because you're pregnant out of wedlock and all those things. Um, and yes, there was, we saw suffering. That's a result of sin. In our lives, we go through suffering. <laughs> but there's a gift so much greater, and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So this is the kickoff of Christmas season for us as a church. And I I hope you're encouraged tonight. I hope you've had good fellowship around the table and you look across that table and these are your loved ones. Some of them may be family members, physical family members, um, biological family members, and some may be church family members. But that babe came to put you in the church of Jesus Christ and make you part of that. So hello, family. Let's have a great Christmas this year. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder of Christmas and what it centers on, Lord. And I I think every true believer in this room understands that, Lord. And yet the temptations will hit us, if not already, um, to uh, be frustrated with traffic and holidays and not enough money or whatever the case may be or not feeling well or Whatever sin, the effects of sin have brought into our lives, Lord. And yet, when we take a few minutes and look at your word, and passage after passage told us, he came, he came, he came to do all these things. We are overwhelmed with that. And I pray, Lord, that this Christmas season, we would find true joy in Jesus. And we would share that with our loved ones, grandkids, Neighbors, let our coworkers see that there's abundant life flowing out of the people who claim Jesus as their Savior. And Lord, give us opportunity to share those truths with one another. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, well, now as we sing one more song, Lord, hear our worship and give us a sweet rest tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.